We are going to eventually make our way to John chapter 6 today. Uh, if you turn there now, uh, that'd be great, but that's where we're going to end up. But this is going to not be a regular sermon. Today I need to talk quite a bit about some family business, and I want to talk about who we are as a church, where we've been, where God is taking us next, and even though the sermon will be a little shortened today, uh, you need to know that this does not at all mean the Bible is not central to our worship. So that's where I want to start, because we need to understand who we are and why we gather and so the Word of God is absolutely central to our worship. That's who we are. That's, that's how we do our gathering. That's who we are as a church. And if you are ever at a church that does not preach the Scriptures and does not preach the Gospel and does not preach Christ, then run. You don't want to be there. And Jesus Christ in his gospel, I've heard it said from one of my heroes of the faith, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who is called the preacher, if you don't talk about Christ in your preaching, then get out the pulpit until you have something worthwhile to say. And so we run from those environments. So that's not this place. We're centered on the word. And so this is what our worship must always be about, gathering together as the people of God in community with one another, committed to one another, brothers and sisters together, to hear from God together, to praise God together, to bring our offerings to God together, to pray together, to remind ourselves of the gospel and share the gospel, to motivate each other towards love and good deeds for the gospel and to equip each other to make disciples through the gospel. This is who we are. This is why we gather. This is why we come together. That's why it's good that you're sitting here this morning and not just at home watching some service on YouTube or on TV. And so it's good that you're with the people of God to hear from the word of God to worship God. And so this is who we are. I'm just reminded of this, particularly at this time of year, as we think about Christmas, and it's such a wonderful time to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Last weekend, I was thinking about this when Katie and I took our kids to see Coco. It's a new film made by Pixar. And I showed up on time, even though I had assigned seats. I love that, by the way. I love that you can assign your seats now. You don't have to show up and find them. You can assign them, so it's awesome. So we had our seats, but I showed up early because I wanted to be in my seat because Pixar always has a short film or short what they call short, before the feature film. And in the past, they're always very innovative, creative, entertaining, just wonderful storytelling. But this time, before this movie, we got a 22-minute short called Olaf's Frozen Adventure. And never mind that it was way too long, like way too long. So long, in fact, that when Eliza, my five-year-old, told her preschool teacher she went to the movies, she said she went to the movies to see the new Frozen movie. It was not even the movie we paid for, and she thought that was the whole thing. She thought that was the feature film, and the rest of it was just a little thing. So it was way too long, never mind the fact that it wasn't very good. It was so poorly reviewed, in fact, that Disney's thinking about pulling it. The story itself is built around the idea that Anna and Elsa, two of these characters from the movie Frozen, don't have any holiday traditions for that time of year. And so they're in search of a holiday tradition for that time of year. It's the very politically correct way of saying Anna and Elsa are trying to figure out what to celebrate at Christmas time. 
because they don't have anything to celebrate. And by the end of it, the thing that eventually comes to the surface is Olaf, the magical snowman. That's the reason for that time of year. That's their tradition. And they even close out the short with Olaf having a fruitcake that was taken from him, dropped back on top of him, and he calls it the Christmas miracle. Now, I don't really get worked up, to be honest with you, about all all the obvious knocks on Christianity and that stuff. I just don't. It's made by the world. I mean, what do we expect? Like, it's not a Christian company. So, so often Christians get so upset because it's like, why aren't you making all your films biblically based and theologically sound? Well, it's, it's Disney. <laughs> they're going to make what they're going to make that's going to make them money. And, and so I don't get worked up about it, but I can say I'm excited about this morning because it's December and I'm excited that Christmas is not about family traditions. It's always been about Jesus Christ. And so it's a good month. And so this whole, this whole morning, I'm just going to kind of exude excitement. So just kind of get used to it. And I hope you're awake. I want some energy from you guys, too, this morning, if that's cool. But I, I am excited this December. I'm excited that over the last two nights, thousands of people have been at our Troy campus to experience the live nativity. And they went through this whole experience simply to be confronted with the question, yeah, there's popcorn, and yeah, there's things for kids, and yeah, there's a petting zoo and all the rest of it, but they're confronted with the question, why did Jesus come and why did he die? Well, that's a good thing to think about this season. I'm excited that by the end of it, tens of thousands of people will walk through that experience. I'm excited that the last two nights we've had over 250 women here for a Christmas tea. Yes, to have a good time, yes, to enjoy fellowship and enjoy hanging out together and have a beautiful environment set up, but also so that people could hear the truth about Jesus Christ. That's exciting. It's exciting that we get to do that at this time of year and people show up for this stuff. I'm excited that we had men and women led by two of our very own, Richard and Heather, coming. Heather is our adult ministries director, and they led all these teams of people over these last few days to set up tables, to set tables, to clean plates, to clear plates, to put all of these seats back together way after midnight, and then came back to church this morning by 7 a.m. just so we could worship Christ this morning. And so that was awesome. I'm excited that the, the men and women who were here last week, we had teams of people that stayed after the 11.30 service, and they even joyfully, without complaining, ate Hungry Howie's pizza, because we were cheap, and that's all we got them. And so we had this pizza, but they stayed, and they stayed to just decorate this place inside and out, because we believe that making the building beautiful at this time of year is a good thing to do, because the, the arrival of Jesus Christ is worth celebrating. And so I think they did a pretty awesome job. How about you? I'm excited about Craig and Sue Pleta, two of our members here who just last month around Thanksgiving led well over 100 volunteers to care for the needs, clean clothes, handle meals, drive minibuses for people who do not have a home, many of whom do not have a job, who are struggling to find hope and peace and love and grace. So bottom line, I get excited about this time of year and the ministry we get to do because this time of year helps us focus in on Jesus Christ. And every year, Woodside does a Christmas series that focuses on the truth, on the beauty, on the power, on the reality that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, that God has come, that hope has come, 
And next week, that's actually the name of our series. We're going to begin our new Christmas series next Sunday that will lead us through Christmas Eve. Then came hope. And we'll look at the work of Jesus Christ. It's going to be fantastic. I really hope that you don't miss any. I've read all the sermons already. I get to kind of be responsible for our preaching team now. And so I've read them all. I can't wait to preach a few of them coming up. For me, it's going to be a special month as well and a surreal month because this is my final month as your campus pastor. Now, as most of you know, back in August, I moved into the role of overseeing all of the Woodside campuses. And it was an incredibly, incredibly difficult decision because I love you, I love this church, I love what God is doing I love this community. I love driving up Mound Road that's now paved. I like the sunrises in the morning. I like there's no traffic. I, I love this place. And yet I also felt, and Katie felt, that God was saying to us, I want you to serve our other campuses and do your best to help them develop churches that are gospel-centered, Christ-centered, family-centered, environments where disciples are made. And so we felt God calling us to do this task. And it wasn't, it was out of comfort and into the wilderness. So the goal was to find a replacement over these past five months. And while we've had lots of men who want the job, God has not yet given us an answer. And we want the right guy. Uh, I want the right guy. I'm sure you would like the right guy. And we will wait on God's timing for the right guy. And so the plan is that next week we'll have with us here on Sunday, Billy Creech. Billy Creech is one of, and you can totally make fun of him. I call him Screech, uh, Creech, whatever. He's a southern guy, super fun guy. He's been on staff with us six or seven years. His job is to be our new campus development director. So his job is to go into campuses that we just merged with and help them get going. Go into churches that we just plant and help them get going. And so he's been at Chesterfield for the last several months, but as of Friday, we now have Andrew Hanna and his wife Stacy, who have been hired there as the campus pastor, and so this is his final month at Chesterfield. After this month then, he'll be free to help out some other campuses, and so he'll be coming here and functioning as the campus pastor as we go through the candidates and as we go through the search until we have a campus pastor come. So I wanted to bring him next Sunday just so you could hear him, so you could hear him preach, so you can hear him interact with him, and I think you'll have a collective sigh and you'll understand after you connect with Billy that everything's going to be all right because he's a good man, a good pastor, a good preacher, and I know that uh, our church will be in great hands during that transition time. So then in the new year, he'll be serving as the temporary campus pastor here at Romy as we continue our search and until we find that permanent campus pastor. And uh, ultimately, I'm responsible to find him, so it's kind of on me and Needless to say, I'm just a little picky when it comes to this campus, all right? So uh, that's why, you know, there's lots of options, but, you know, I know our people, and I love you, and I desire the best for all of us, and so we're going to wait for that guy, and I know that God will give us that answer. And so we're excited about that, and that's, that's going to be coming up in the new year, and, uh, and, and it'll, be, it'll be a good journey. So I think he'll... He'll put your mind at ease next week. Now, did you know it's been five years since we became a Woodside campus? Five years. How many of you were here in November 2012 
when we had our very first Woodside Romeo church service. Put it up with pride. Okay, we got to look around the room. And if it, hold it up high, hold it up high. And if you see a hand that's high, just give them a high five. Because they're still here. They didn't get sick of us. They're still doing it. They're still worshiping. How many of you now have come since we launched as a campus sometime between November of 2012 and today? Put up your hands. That should be the rest of you. If you don't raise your hand, wake up. You're 11, this is 1130. There's coffee in the lot. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. And give those hands around you a high five because this is a good church family. And if you didn't raise your hand, like I said, go get some coffee. You know, do a jumping jack, wake up this morning. Um, so, so it's been amazing. It's been amazing these last five years. It's been a crazy ride for my family and I. I remember Katie and I started here in November of 2012. Eliza was two months. We'd been three months into our new home at 24 and to Quinder. And, uh, and, and we had just left the church family we'd known for a decade. And so we started here at that time and actually, there's only two staff members at this campus that are still on staff at this campus. And I don't know if that was because of me. They're just like, see you later. I don't want to work with that guy. Or, or some, uh, some of them actually moved within Woodside. But there's only two left. One of them is, is Kelly Antone. She's our facilities director. And she was on staff back then. Which, by the way, this woman does an amazing job. An amazing job. The carpets are always clean. The rooms are always clean. The toys are always Cloroxed for your kids. So when they're sucking on a train, you know, they're not going to get the other kids' germs. She's always doing this stuff. Our, our toilets are always clean. It's a little off color, but I'll, I'll share it with you anyways because I think it's pretty, I think it talks about the level of her excellence, where we'll have post office people, men and women come in here, and they come in here all the time, and they only use our bathrooms, because they say we have the cleanest bathrooms of anyone that they go to in the whole day, so they take an extra pit stop every time they come here, there's a little longer time frame in between deliveries because of our facilities, because things are clean. And she does an amazing job. I mean, all the things that you even see this morning, she's in charge of all that. You might not even know who she is. She's a short little lady. Um, and she's married to a short little husband. But, but they're wonderful people. Just wonderful people. And a great family. And I consider them family myself. Kip was here five years ago. And back then, if you didn't know this, Kip has been our kids director, our students director, our neighborhood group's director, our worship director. And there was a time he did all four at the same time. I, I asked him, like, well, what did everybody else do? Like, you kind of handled everything. And finally, now, he, he's, our church has grown, and he's finally able to settle into just really how God has wired him, and that is to bring all of us to the throne of grace. It's not a performance. It's not a band. It's certainly not meant to be entertainment, it is communal worship where we together exalt the character and glories and the holiness of God. And he leads us. That's what it is. He leads us in that worship. He was here back then. We saw during these last five years a neighborhood group with four people in one year grow to over 70. We saw in that one neighborhood group, I can't remember, five, six, seven, eight salvations 
We saw 10 or so of those individuals get baptized over the coming years. One group, two couples, massive impact of making disciples. We've built, a few years ago, a giant Star Wars float. How many of you were here for that? Giant Star Wars float. It's pretty awesome. We had that just to promote a kid's family fun night that we were doing at the church so people could kind of uh, rub shoulders with other Christians and hopefully start to get connected. And so we had the float. It was awesome that our, our people built. I am so mechanically not inclined that, that I would break it if I looked at it. So, so I just kind of showed up that day, but it was going down downtown. We, we won for best float in the Peach Festival, and we still have the trophy in Heather's, or the trophy in Heather's office. It's like the junkiest little trophy ever, but... But it's our only trophy. It's our only church trophy. So, so we've got that trophy. We've seen six more Woodside campuses launch since we started as a church here. Not started, the, the history of this church is much older, but started as a Woodside campus. Six more churches launched through Woodside. We've seen like a thousand babies born in this church family. I don't know what it is about babies and the couples here and... Um, procreating, but it, it happens a lot and often in this church family, so much so that with all these baby dedications and with our nurseries, we had to take our one nursery, which wasn't enough for all the babies, and we had to make it two. So now we have two nurseries because one nursery didn't have enough space for the kids that were coming. So Tracy's been leading that ministry and doing an amazing job. We've seen people driving to church on tractors in the last five years, We've seen people come to Christ. We've seen people follow Christ's command in baptism. We've seen hundreds join our church family as members saying, I'm committed and loyal to you, and we are committed and loyal to one another as we help one another grow in Christ. We've added chairs and added chairs to the point where we're not allowed to add any more chairs. The fire marshal has told us we have a few in our church, and they're like, you know that's kind of illegal, and just a couple weeks ago at our 10 a.m. service, we had chairs like lined up here and lined up there where the people sitting in the front row, their nose was basically on the stage because the, the place was just full. It was just full. And so we've been adding chairs. We can't add any more chairs. And so there's been all this change in our church and there's been all this change in our community. Did you know that Washington Township and Macomb are two of the fastest growing communities in Southeast Michigan? That is sad news for some of you, I know. You're like, just keep my small town, please. But it's changing. We can't do anything about it. It's happening. You drive down Mound, you drive over the streets, and you're like, sub, 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 sub. They're just everywhere. And so there's all this growth. There's all this movement. And as we prayed and strategized and researched as leadership, we felt like God was saying, this is fertile soil for the gospel. And that means it's time to expand. So... That's what we're going to do. That's what you have in your hands this morning. Expansion plans. So that's what we're talking about. Maybe some of you might be thinking, why expand when the campus pastor is leaving? Let me share this with you as forcefully as I can, but as gently as well, because this place is not built on me. No way. It's built on something infinitely better, and that's the gospel. That's the thing that binds us together. We're all replaceable, every single one of us, but we're a family that in this time and in this season, God has brought together not to listen to some guy or listen to some band or listen to some other speaker or whatever it might be. We're bonded together by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And that's the mission that he's given us to go out into our community and make more disciples. And so that's what brings us together. Not, not a show, not a production, family, family. And so that's why when we looked at all this, we said, you know, there's been all this happening in the church and in the community. This ground is fertile soil. And five years have shown us this over and over. Stories like Michaela show us this over and over. So our leadership is convinced of this. I'm convinced of this. And we know that God will bring us a pastor who's ready for this. Now, our, t- our team has been working with an architect for months, and we've We're finally ready to show you what we've come up with, and I'm thrilled about it. Basically, we want to double the size of our church to meet the spiritual needs of our growing church and community. I won't go through all the details, and there will be much more pictures to follow and 3D pictures and all the rest of it, but you've got a few of them with you today with that 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper, but I'll throw them up on the screen. This is our worship center, and it just looks like blueprints, but that's really all it is, and uh, it's going to go right there, right there, we're going to leave this room. It's going to be beautiful, but we'll create some doorways, and you walk right out into a lobby space, and it'll be right over on this side of the building. And so we have a shot from inside of what it'll look like from the back corner, and so that's kind of what the worship center will look like. And one of the things that we, what was, what was so important to me is that this church family feels intimate, it feels connected, <clears throat> And it feels like there's close proximity. And so even with the new facility, what we were thinking about is it's no deeper than this room right here. It's the same depth. It's not some massive place. The difference is it goes twice as wide. And then what we did in the back of the room is we put up theater seating because all of that width and that height in the back makes it all feel close and tight and connected and intimate. And so we wanted to take that value within our church family and continue that on. The first floor is going to add another 8,8500 square feet of kids' space. And I don't have, uh, actually, here's another shot from the stage. Oh, there it is. Um, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be nice. And then the, the, the basement, or the first floor, or the floor level, will be all this kids' space. And that, it, it's, there's too much vision in this blueprint to explain to you right now. But it will be wonderful for the community, wonderful for people with children, providing a safe, clean, wonderful environment for them to connect. And so all that is happening. Now, all of these plans, it's just a building. That's all it is. It's just a building. But it can be a space of gospel ministry and life transformation. And this morning, you have all kinds of materials to help us together help more people belong to Christ grow in Christ, and reach the world for Christ. So before I share more with you, let me take you then to John 6, just for a few moments, just for a few moments to bring out a principle, just one simple principle that I'd like to leave you with today. Let me give you some context. Jesus' disciples were tired. This is at the height of his ministry in northern Galilee where people had been coming to him with all their hurts and pains and struggles and questions, and he'd been healing them and teaching them and helping them and pouring into them and ministering to them. And then he sent out his disciples to do the same. And so when they all reconvened, he said, let's get away together to a solitary place and spend some time. And so what they decided to do to escape the crowds is they got into a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And it's really not probably great to call it a sea. It's more like a lake. Like we have what we should call seas, which we call Great Lakes. They're massive and they're huge. And and so we could probably call them Great Lakes or Great Seas. This is uh, really a large lake. 
And so it's called the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And they got into the boat, and as they went across this lake, really, the people so desired to be with Christ at that point in his ministry that they ran along the shoreline and beat them to the place they were going. And not just a small crowd, 5,000 men, not including women and children. And so when they show up, literally the word is translated in the wilderness, In the wilderness there were thousands of people for this exhausted group of disciples. And so Jesus comes, and just like God uh, had provided manna for his people in the desert, this is what John was really wanting his readers to understand. Jesus would provide for the people here because he is the bread of life. It was representing through John's letter that Jesus is greater than Moses. He is divine. He is the bread of life. He brings sustenance to your soul. And that, that's what he was demonstrating with this incredible miracle that all of you have heard and read many times before. So we'll pick up the story in verse 5 and just work through it quickly. It says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew that what he would do. So Jesus already knows what's happening. He already sees the whole plan laid out in front of him. He knows what he needs to do for the sake of the people to demonstrate his true character and who he really is. Well, Philip answered him, 200 denarii, a denarius was a day's worth of wages, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. So Philip doesn't even answer Jesus' question. He just gave him the stats. He's a stat guy. He's a bean counter. He, he looked at it and said, yeah, yeah, not going to work. Not going to work. It, it, it's not enough. And so he, he just doesn't see that provision will be made for these people. Jesus is wanting him to exercise some measure of faith. He didn't. And whenever you find Philip, by the way, in the scripture, he's always focusing on the external evidences. He just kind of goes by, his faith is as strong as his sight, And that's never the type of faith that Jesus desires in us. And so one of his disciples, verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves. Barley loaves were uh, the type of bread that was used for the impoverished, lowest quality. Five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? So Andrew started off better, but it's the same basic response. He couldn't look past What was in his hand? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill... He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, a couple things kind of as we close, just give me a few more minutes today to walk through some of this with you. The disciples' problem was that they had grossly underestimated their wealth grossly underestimated their wealth. They thought all they had was five loaves and a few fish. What's wrong with that? Well, they had been with Jesus. 
They had seen Jesus turn water into wine, a very similar type of miracle in many ways. They had seen Jesus heal the nobleman's son, even though he was miles away. They had been with Jesus. And so although they'd been with Jesus, instead of thinking about the abundant resource that's standing right next to them, they were stuck in a scarcity mentality. And a scarcity mentality is the pervasive mentality of our culture in our day. A scarcity mentality. Jesus is constantly reminding his disciples that God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance, not scarcity. Now, I know we have, I know this for a fact, some of, in my experience, some of the most radically generous people I've ever met are in this church. And it's amazing to watch your faith in action because you live, I see it, with an abundance mentality. That God's kingdom is one of abundance, that he has given us every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, that all good things come down from the Father of heavenly lights, that he has given us more than we could have ever imagined, both spiritually and in many ways even physically. And if you're like, well, not me, well, you're here this morning and still breathing, which is part of that sustenance. But I've also heard it said of Americans in general that many people think they're generous and they're really not. It's the scarcity mentality at work. People think they are generous because they've confused giving with generosity. Those are two different things. You can give and even give consistently, but that does not necessarily equate to the fact that you may or may not be radically generous with your life. Giving and living a life of radical generosity are two very different things. So here's how I've heard it said. Most Americans don't feel rich, and we are. And at the same time, most Americans think they are generous, and they're not. Let me put it this way. Most think they live with scarcity, and we don't. And most think they give abundantly, and they don't. Now, I was awakened to this reality in a sermon I heard recently, and let me just share with you some of the things that really challenged my heart on this topic and on these ideas. I was reminded that half the world lives on a dollar or two a day. That's how much coffee we drink before we start work. And I was reminded that, that we are abundantly wealthy. Let me kind of show some of that to you. You are so rich that you own, many of you, a car. If you own a car, you are in the top 6 to 9% of the wealthiest people on planet Earth. Already, if you own a single car, you are already part of the richest 6 to 9% of people on planet Earth. Now, many of us then get into that car. Think about how rich we really are. We get into that car, and probably even yesterday, many of you might have driven in that car that's working and had gas in it, and on average, you would have passed eight restaurants to get to the restaurant that you wanted to go to. And on your way to that restaurant, when you finally pull in, you get out of your car, and you walk up to the door, and then when you walk inside, there's someone there, a stranger, a complete stranger, who says, here's a table totally set up for you. You didn't have to set it. You didn't have to prepare it. Here it is, and they walk you over to the table. And then we're so rich, when we sit down, there's another stranger that comes around and says, what would you like us to cook for you today? And then we give a, some kind of an order, and we, 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 we say, well, this is what we'd like. And then that stranger goes into the back, and they talk to another stranger, and that stranger starts making food. 
We didn't have to buy the chicken, kill the chicken. Most people can't even afford a chicken, but we got the chicken marinated, grilled, just like we liked it, and then the servant comes back out and puts it down right in front of us. We still haven't moved. And then we begin eating our food and eat our food, and then after we're done eating our food, they take the plates away and they go clean the plates, and we don't even have to mess with the plates. And then because we're so rich, we actually get back into that car that we own and we drive home. And then when we pull into our driveway, we touch, we touch this magic button. And this magic button, when we press it, this, this door opens and we drive our car into the garage. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's, that's, that's America. We got garages and cars. Do you realize that most of the world When they think about the concept of a garage, they don't understand the term. They think you built a house for your car. And some of us are so rich that you have a two-car garage. You built a two-house car garage. And some of you are so rich, you have a three-car garage. And with that third car garage, you have a couple cars in a few of those spots, but then what you do with the third space is you've got this other house that you built, not for the cars, but for the people, but there's so much stuff in the house for all the people that you take all the extra stuff and then you put it in the house for the car. And it just fills up that space. And then we walk into the house for the people and, and, and this morning, many of you probably did this. When you got up, you took a shower. I hope you took a shower before you came to church. Give God your best. And so, you know, you took a shower. You walk into your closet. When you walked into your closet, that's another, like, house. It's like a small house. And, and, and this is what you did. You're, you're like, okay, I, I'm in here. I'm getting ready for church. And it's, it's no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I got nothing to wear. I got nothing. I just did a full 360 around clothes, and I'm saying I got nothing to wear. We have an abundance. An abundance. We are so rich. What was left for the crowds In chapter 6, an abundance. Now, most think they live with scarcity and we don't. Most think they give abundantly and they don't. This isn't meant to make anyone feel bad, by the way. Not at all. This this is just to bring home some reality. The average American tithes, which is a tenth, the average giving is 2.8% of their resources. 2.8%. And if your combined household income is over 100 grand, the percentage goes down. In abundance, they ate, and they were full, and they still had leftovers. This wasn't just a snack. They were full. The 12 disciples all carried home in a whole extra basket just for themselves. <laughs> they, they each had a big basket like, well, you didn't come in with much, but I'm leaving with a lot. 12 baskets left over. It's such an amazing miracle. They wanted to make Jesus king. Now, why would Christ use food? Big picture, what John is saying here. He wanted them to know Jesus wanted them to know he was the divine Messiah who could bring them spiritual sustenance and life. Smaller picture, he wanted them to see that no matter what they had, even the tiniest or most menial thing, if they gave it to him, he could use it. 
He wanted them to see that no matter what they had, even the tiniest or most menial thing, if they gave it to him, he could use it. Little is much when God is in it. So let me share with you today a very simple idea as we finish up. Jesus wants to use your lunch. I thought it was a fairly clever, kind of funny statement, but I'll keep working on it. Um, Didn't get the reaction really from any of the services today, but um, I tried. So Jesus wants to use your lunch. He wants to use your offering. He wants you to bring what you have to him so he can multiply it. It is what we're talking about here. Some of you have small lunches. That's okay. So did the boy. He wasn't rich. He would have been impoverished. But he brought it, and it was multiplied for the kingdom. Some of you have big, big, big lunches. And it can be multiplied for the kingdom. Our leadership has already started offering their, their lunch, bringing their offerings. And for some of them, it was $100. For some of the others, it was tens of thousands of dollars already for this expansion project. Uh, the, the, the point is, whether it's 100 or tens of thousands or less than 100 or more than 100 grand, the point is we bring what we have. The question is, will you bring your lunch to Christ? It's more than resources, it's your life, it's your time, it's your gifts, but it certainly includes your resources. Will you bring the lunch that he's already given you back to him, the one who gave it to you? Now, the vision is big, it's 3.5 million big. That, that's that building, and so that might overwhelm many of you, but I don't think it's that much to God, quite frankly. And at the same time, we've seen this before as Woodside. If you've been party here a while, you know, first of all, that these talks are pretty few and far between. It's actually the first one we've had in five years. But usually the conversation goes, look what happened in Royal Oak. We just paid for that in cash, so there's no debt. Look what happened over at White Lake, $4 million build. We paid for it in cash, no debt. Look what happened over at Lake Orion. We got to be a part of that at Woodside Romeo, $8 million build. We paid for it in cash, no debt. And now all that the Lord has been doing is saying, well, now it's time at Woodside Romeo to see some growth so that we can better service our community for the gospel. And so we're all in this together, all the campuses. All of us are together contributing to this, but for us specifically, and as I finish this morning, I'm asking you to make a radically generous gift to Woodside Romeo this December. And what that looks like just with these pieces that you have, this is kind of the big vision. It talks about all the other vision items as well. But then these two pieces that are in here, there's a commitment card and a giving envelope. And the idea would be that sometime during the month of December, we do two things, that we would pray about two things. We'd ask God first. We'd ask him the question, are you asking me to offer my lunch to feed people who need the gospel? Is he asking you to bring an offering? And with this, there's a couple ways we're trying to emphasize. One is that we'd bring a one-time gift at the year's end here. That before the end of the year, we'd bring a one-time gift or whatever it might be, and we'd, we'd get started well. And then the second thing is that maybe in addition to that one-time gift, we would make a one- or a three-year commitment above and beyond our regular giving because we still have a general fund and we still need to meet the needs. And so a one- or a three-year commitment above and beyond our regular giving over the next period of time to fund this project and to see it through. 
And if you feel any pressure this morning, then please don't give. Because that's not the type of giving we find in Scripture. See, this is a joyful offering in response to the goodness of our God and the work that he has done in this church. And if you've received value from this place, if you've been challenged by the word, if you find community here and family here and you're committed to this place, then then it has value in your life. And if that's where you are, then give joyfully, not under compulsion or reluctantly. Those aren't the types of offerings God receives. So we don't give that way, and if you're feeling that way, then please, please desist. But, but we give as God intended, cheerfully and joyfully and out of faith, knowing that we have been given an abundance. So I'm asking you to consider this season to join me and my family. And my family and I, we're committed to this place 150%, whether I'm here on a Sunday or whether I'm not. I've been here long enough to see what God is doing in this church family and in this community. And I see what he can do through his people and I believe in it 150%. And whether I'm here preaching on a Sunday or helping lead in a different way, I am thrilled to see what God's gonna do. And I trust him in all these things.